on Zoom and my Rodecaster Pro that I haven't been able to use in person yet. There it is. It's <laughs> always the first time. I know, yeah. How are you? I'm doing good. Things have been a little crazy, but, uh, you know, just here to breathe, to talk. How hard is that? No, super Perfect easy. thing to be doing. For me, it's hard. That's why I'm excited to talk to you. <laughs> okay, in that case, I got my work cut out for me then. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, I, I, I want to start. I mean, um, James Nestor, an, an amazing journalist, um, has this incredible book, Breathe. Uh, was it, it, uh, that just blew my mind. I mean, th- this is kind of, you know, uh, the premise of In My Feels is thoughts, feelings, emotions on the inside, create your outside exterior. And I feel like um, your book had, to me, some spiritual elements of it, you know, with the, the power of breath. And, and I just kind of want to dive in on the ailments you had and that led you onto this journey to, f- to discover breath and, and how we've been breathing wrong this whole time. Sure. It was actually years and years ago uh, when I had been suffering from a lot of respiratory issues. Even though I was eating right, I was exercising all the time, I was sleeping, you know, doing all the right stuff, but still I was getting sick all the time. Bronchitis, some wheezing, even mild pneumonia. And a doctor recommended I go to a breathing class, which I had not really been to before. I'm in San Francisco, so these things are a dime a dozen. <laughs> uh, every street corner, there's there's some yoga studio or breathing studio. So I picked one at random and had this really, really weird uh, experience where I just sat in a corner, legs crossed, breathing in this very easy rhythm and just started pouring sweat through through my t-shirt, through my jeans, my hair was wet. I mean, it was just insane. And I didn't know what had happened. And as a science journalist, I wasn't going to write a memoir about it. So I just kind of forgot about it until much later on, uh, the pieces of the puzzle started coming together. I figured it was time to write a book about it. Amazing. Amazing. Well, um, what, what, just, just, I, I just want to dive in on the ailments that you had. Um, because I know you overcame some things that were scientifically kind of impossible to do it just by breathing alone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, once you start really getting into the research, what we know about the human body's potential, so much of it has been wrong. Uh, and I really, this came to a fore for me when I was sent out on an assignment to write about free divers, these people who can hold their breath for eight, nine, 10 minutes at a time and dive down to depths of 300, 400 feet. On we just a had a free diver on, on the last episode. You Sorry. did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How so they're real. That? According to many scientists, what they're doing is impossible. And yet these people are doing it every day and people just say, huh, that's weird. So, so much of what uh, I had had, I thought that I was just uh, pretty much hopeless. I had a pretty messed up sinuses. I had a restriction in my airway. I had upper airway resistance syndrome. And when you get to be an adult, you're, you're told by a lot of people that you're, you're pretty much a host. Whatever you have in adulthood is what you're going to have the rest of your life. But that is so completely not true, especially with the human body. The human body is so malleable and you can really do so many things if you give it the right inputs. Absolutely. Um, we, we forgot to ask you, how are you feeling? like right now <laughs> that's usually the that's way we start <laughs> and, and we kind of just both got too excited i think <laughs> i'm i'm feeling very good thank you for asking good. perfect perfect um uh I, the reason why i um i discovered your book is you know uh i had to i mean obviously now not traveling to and from work the audiobook situation really is only for me now when i run um, and I couldn't get any book to sync to my Apple Watch. And the only one that did was yours. Um, and 
And it's the way it started off, it blew my mind. Now I run while just breathing through my nose, which is becoming easier. At first, I thought I was going to pass out and probably like die because you want to use your mouth so much. And I see people running towards me, you know, with their mouths, you know, breathing in and out. What is it so so important about nasal breathing compared to uh, a mouth breathing? So uh, at this time, I'm going to invite my friend here. Uh, He shows up sometimes. Here he is. So uh, (laughs) this is a deli slicer view of a human head. I've seen my own human head in the same sort of deli slicer view. And if you look at what's happening with the nose here, each breath you take in through the nose has to go through this labyrinth of different structures where it's heated, it's moistened, it's pressurized, it's filtered, and it's conditioned so that by the time it enters your lungs, all of this air is purified. So your lungs can extract that oxygen so much more easily. If you look at what's happening with the mouth, zero. Air just goes directly into the mouth, goes into the lungs. So when you're breathing through your mouth, you can think about the lungs as an external organ. By that, I mean they're exposed to all the crap in the air. If you live in a city like I do, that's pollution, that's allergens, that's viruses, that's everything else. Our our noses are the first line of defense. So that's how you maintain good immune health. But beyond that, for physical fitness, for performance, nasal breathing is far superior. You get more oxygen, you can reach a higher threshold at a lower heart rate, which allows you to then push farther and harder with less energy. So that's been known for decades. I'm not saying it's easy as you're experiencing. It's a complete pain in the butt at the beginning, which is why so many people give up early. Yeah, it's interesting because I was doing my vocal warm-ups the other day with my vocal coach. And like, I, I just don't breathe, period. Like, it's kind of like been like a thing everyone has noticed about me and I've noticed about me is like, I used to ride horses or I still do, but like I used to show them like every weekend. And my, and my trainers would always say like, Noah, you're like not breathing. Like I see you holding your breath. How do you do that? Like you need to breathe, like, or you're not going to be able to use any of your strength or like, you're not, you're not going to be as clear headed. And so that was always like a problem with me. And then with riding, I mean, with singing, uh, I was doing my vocal warmups with my vocal coach the other day and I just couldn't really breathe. And she was reminding me like, you know, whenever I did take a breath through my nose, she had me breathe through my mouth. And now I'm hearing like, oh, I should be breathing through my nose. So what really is, what way do you think for people that like, you know, for me, like as a singer, before you need to hit a certain note or something, like you kind of time out your breaths and it's kind of hard for me. Like sometimes I just hold my breath and that kind of fucks you up as a singer for the next note. So like, what, what's your advice to me or to anybody that kind of like is the type to hold their breath or like, cause that's something like really like you would notice about me as soon as I'd walk in a, in the, in the riding ring is I would just kind of go statue mode. <laughs> like, you know, I wouldn't be moving and I'd be holding my breath and face would turn red. I was really sensitive to the heat and, you know, all of that would add up. Well, there's a few things going on there. So so nasal breathing and mouth breathing, nasal breathing is always going to be the best way of going. But you can't nasal breathe when you're eating sometimes or when you're talking sometimes. I'm taking some breaths through my mouth, especially when you're singing. So I'm right. talking about habitual breathing. 
it's completely fine to take a few breaths through through your mouth, right? When you're laughing, when you're yawning, right? Totally fine. But for the other twenty thousand breaths you take in in the day, you should always be breathing through through your nose. So I try to make that That's a problem. Uh, I have not not being I able like, to breathe through your nose. Yeah, yeah, and then it gives me like super bad anxiety. Like then I feel like I can't breathe at all, and then I like start having a panic attack, and it's like it, I do this every night. Like as I'm going to bed, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to breathe through my nose, and I feel like there's like a a missing like step of air that I'm getting or something. It doesn't feel like I'm getting all of it. And then I'll like convince myself I can't breathe. And it's like a whole tunnel of things. Yeah. It's you. And I would even say the majority of the population is having this. And some of it is due to what's happened in the human skull over the past 500 years. Our skulls have been shrinking so much so that our teeth no longer fit in our mouth. So our mouths are so small that our teeth don't fit. If our teeth don't fit, we have less room in our airway. If we have less room in our airway, every breath is a struggle. And that's why we have so many chronic issues right now, why modern humans do. So uh, a few things going on with you, just to be totally clear, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a breathing therapist, but I spent years talking to the top experts in this field. I spent years looking through medical journals. And so I picked up a few tricks along the way. So first of all, um, that anxiety you're feeling, that is probably attached to uh, carbon dioxide because the reaction that need to breathe that we experience has nothing to do with oxygen. If you're at sea level right now, if you exhale and you hold your breath, you're going to feel a need to breathe. That is dictated by rising CO2 levels, not by a lack of oxygen. So what they found with asthmatics and some other people who suffer from panic and some people who are often anxious is they have a low threshold for CO2. So the therapy for them is to allow them to have a higher threshold of CO2. CO2 is the stuff that we exhale. When you're breathing too much, you blow off too much CO2. So by breathing slowly and doing this very, very slowly, not breathing slowly, but acclimating your body very slowly, your nose can start to open up because CO2 is this amazing vasodilator. You will be able to breathe through your nose more often and more easily. Uh, I want to make perfectly clear as well, this is not some blanket prescription. I'm not guaranteeing this to, to everyone out <laughs> there, but I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. So to, to focus on breathing slowly, to try to focus on breathing through your nose, and to use a few hacks to make nasal breathing easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the more I, I run with my, because I mean, I've, I've been suffering from headaches for like probably two years. And it got to a point where I'm just, I'm done. I'm so tired of, uh, and the only thing that kind of subdues it is me running and breathing through my nose. Um, it also depends on the sleep I've had too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's driven me insane and that's what led me to your book just to be, you know, uh, someone said to me, maybe I'm not getting, not breathing enough or maybe I, because what I realized, especially in your book too, is, um, when I would be on my phone, my phone would give me the worst headache and I'd realize I I'm super aware of myself and I'm super conscious. So I, I'm always consciously breathing for myself if that makes sense. Um, and when I'm on my phone, I notice myself not breathing. That's also very common too. It's so common that it has a name. It's called email apnea. 
And something like 80% of office workers, that's one estimate, suffer from this. What I mean by email apnea, it also has some academic name of continuous partial attention syndrome, but you just call it email apnea. It's easier that way. <laughs> is when we sit down in the morning and we open our computers and there's 50 emails, everyone needs your attention. Someone's calling you on the phone. You're stressed out. Your breathing goes to hell. And when your breathing goes to hell, it can make it so much more easy for you to get headaches, for you to feel fatigued, for you to feel completely out of it. And the fact is we're so completely divorced from our breathing because we're completely subsumed by the task at hand. Humans no longer have to fight against like woolly mammoths. A lot of us don't have to fight to stay alive every day. So our sense of danger has really escalated. So we view uh, an email from a friend who's really mad at us as this extreme threat. And what do we do? We hold our breath or we go and breathe too much. Because when we're breathing too much, that's activating a fight or flight um, uh, uh, part of the nervous system. Uh, so when we view a threat, this is what our bodies do, which is great. You want to be able to, to uh, have a bunch of energy to fight something off, but not if you're sitting in front of a computer and there's no real danger. So I thought that this was happening to me. I was having chronic headaches all the time. After about two hours on a computer, I thought it was blue light. I had stupid glasses on, yep. still right. had the headaches. I wear my so, blue light glasses all the time. <laughs> which, which work. Uh, they're, they're totally legit. I'm a huge fan, especially at night. They're great. Yeah, so, I have to wear mine at night for like the TV and computers and phones and stuff. For sure. So the, the thing is, I wore a pulse oximeter, which looks at the oxygenation in your blood and allows you to get a quick view into how you might be breathing. My breathing was so dysfunctional. And once I fixed that, so many of those problems went away. I mean, it was miraculous. It happened in a couple of days, which makes sense. If our bodies aren't able to efficiently get oxygen, they're going to be a state, in a state of stress, which is going to have downstream effects to our health. This is just simple physiology. But the fact that so few people are paying attention to this, including me, you know, including you until recently, is just nuts that our doctors aren't telling me about, about this, you know, that, that this isn't the first thing that the doctor looks at when you go in for a checkout. How are you breathing? Mm -hmm. you know? it's, it, I think it's because it's, it's such an, we think it's such an automatic thing, you know, it's like the unconscious breathing. Um, but, I, you know, I meditate a lot. I do. I have done, you know, sound baths and breathing meditations and all those type of things, which if you don't do them regularly, can be a fucking pain in the ass and, and like really make you feel like you don't want to do it again. Um, and uh, speaking of like experiments and stuff, you, you actually did an experiment where you plugged up your nose and only breathed through your mouth and then reversed it and plugged up your mouth and only breathed through your nose. Like that sounds like torture. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it It was. But what we were doing, this wasn't trying to be like some supersize me stunt, you know. 25 to 50% of the population habitually breathes through its mouth. And I heard from some doctors, they're like, it doesn't matter. Breathe through your mouth, through your nose, doesn't matter. Your body's going to compensate. I heard from other researchers who have studied this stuff for decades. They said, that is insane. For all the, the reasons I mentioned with nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, we get 20% more oxygen breathing through our noses than we do through our mouths. So if you're breathing through your mouth, you're constantly trying to catch up, which is just going to constantly stress your body out. It's actually going to give you a stress response. 
So the cool thing about breathing is we carry it with us all the time. This is not requiring you to go into a dark room and stare at a Buddha for 30 minutes every day, which is cool. That's great. Yeah. If someone wants to do that. That's completely awesome. This Who's is guilty. You can take control <laughs> of your breathing at any time of the day. And that will have a direct effect, the quickest effect on your nervous system, your circulation, your heart function, and all of that. So I had been talking with the chief of rhinology research at Stanford for months, and he's a big nose guy, right? He knows all the benefits of nasal breathing, all the damage of mouth breathing, but he didn't know how quickly the damage came on. I said, well, let's, let's study it. So we put together a little study. And yeah, for 10 days, I have my nose plugged with silicone, which sounds gnarly, but if you look at... <laughs> the majority of the population that's not breathing out of their nose anyway. It was just lulling ourselves into a position that so many other people knew. Yeah. Yeah. Were you not terrified of the the, the long-standing effects or did you go in knowing that it could be revert? I mean, what was the education behind it? Well, uh, I had looked, knowing, knowing how responsive the body can be to different inputs, uh, the body's very malleable. And compared to the other insults, that we're giving the body every day from pollution to light pollution to air pollution, sound pollution. I figured this is definitely something our bodies can can take for 10 days. Again, 25% of the population has chronic sinusitis. So mm -hmm. they know all about this. Talk to people during allergy season. No one's breathing through their noses. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be fun, but I didn't know it was going to be so awful or that the data was going to be so significant within just a few hours, blood pressure through the roof, snoring, sleep apnea, just complete misery. Our, our bodies started shutting down in a lot of ways, which I don't think anyone expected. Mm, that's insane. I mean, I know there was a, um, you mentioned an experiment in the book, um, which was, I mean, it sounds completely inhumane. Um, it was an animal experiment that was done, I can't remember by who, on monkeys, where the monkeys' noses were stitched up um and they only breathe through their mouth and the 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 after effects of that were just insane like i've never even heard of it i've never even looked at it and it was just i mean the one thing from it that you would take is how detrimental mouth breathing actually is to any species really i mean essentially um i'd love to just dive on that just quickly so people can understand how how bad it is to, for, for mouth breathers to consistently you know ignore the, the nasal passage um, so yeah, so I'd love to just talk about that for a second. Sure. So I, I love my job. I love what I do. I love every part of it. I do not love when I'm reading research that involves animals. I'd much prefer to read research that involves humans because yeah. at least they know what's going on. This was such a horrendous study. I wasn't even going to include it, but I thought it was so important with, with what it showed us, just how dramatically the pathway through which we breathe can not only affect our brain function, our bodies, but actually how we look. It can change how we look. So you summed it up great. These are Harvold's monkeys. That's what they're referred to as in the 70s and 80s. Uh, these scientists here in San Francisco uh, sewed up the nostrils. They, they actually put silicone way up inside of these Ugh, monkeys' heads so they couldn't that. pull them out. And, uh, and just seeing, you can see the pictures. I did not include those in the book because they're just going to make you cry because it's such a clear reflection of what's happened to our own species. When you're walking around like this all the time, go out in public, you see this all the time, your face is going to start to change, okay? And it's actually going to make it harder to breathe healthy the more you do that because your airways will start to clog up. 
So this was so clearly demonstrated with, with the monkeys, but you don't need the monkeys to know this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just take a walk in any city yeah. and you can see it. For me, take a look in the mirror. You know, I was breathing through my mouth through a lot of my, my youth and even into adulthood, especially when I was exercising. And I know that had some, some long-term effects on me. Um, I, did the, the, I mean, the, the thing I love about your book is that you kind of compiled all the scientific research into one, one, one book. And I feel like, um, you know, science, religion is so separate, um, the science and spirituality and individual fields of science are so separate. And it's like, I mean, you'd almost think that teams of scientists would come together from different walks of life, whether it's breath, whether it's nasal, ears, nose, throat, lungs, would come together and just kind of come up with this concept of, of a, a guideline of how to kind of breathe properly. And I feel like you've kind of touched up on that. And I would say, you know, listening to the to the audio, but while running, it was, you know, you, you'd say one thing and then you'd practice that and it'd be like, oh, actually, there's this too. And then you start practicing that. And you, and, and you, I think you summed it up so well. It was just a, it's kind of a do it all. There is no right or wrong to any of this, but all of them essentially touch up on the same thing. Well, this is something that I was completely shocked about. My father-in-law is a pulmonologist, okay, really well-known pulmonologist, He's been in the game for what forty years. My brother-in-law is a uh, ER doctor, so so this is what we talk about at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. And as a pulmonologist, you would think that these people are breathing masters. They're going to know exactly the right way of breathing for anxiety, the right way of breathing to get your body pumped out. They don't know any of this, and this isn't pointing fingers. They are trained to remove pathogens, to cut out stuff if your lungs get injured, right? If you have cancer, to replace lungs. They are not looking at breathing practices. So this research that I was finding, I mean, this is the first he had ever heard about it, my father-in-law. And he was stunned. He's like, why didn't I learn about this in med school? Why didn't I learn about it in my professional life? So we have different schools that look at different parts of the body, you ear, nose, and throat guy, rhinologist, pulmonologist, phrenologist, whatever. But there are few people that are looking at the whole thing. So our body isn't just a bunch of different silos. What affects you here is gonna affect you deeper down. And breathing is the thing that anchors all of the systems of the body together. And throughout a lot of uh, medical history, Western medical history, they just thought, if you're breathing, cool, that's great. If you're not, that's a serious problem. So it's not binary. It's how you breathe that predicts and is so reflective of so much of our health and lifespan. Amazing. Noah, no, are you breathing through, through your nose right now? I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm like sitting here like... <laughs> I, I, I've been super consciously breathing for myself yeah, the whole time. Same. Well, I remember uh, this was when I was a kid um i was at the dentist and he told me like you breathe through your mouth like you're a mouth breather and i was like okay like is that bad or good and they didn't really specify like i didn't really you know and now like with exercising and stuff like i know it's important to you know breathe through your nose and lou definitely has told me a lot about that and um, even since I was a kid, like with writing and stuff, but yeah, just sitting here, I was just like trying so hard to like breathe through my nose and I don't know, it's hard for me. Like I get, I don't know why is that, is that something like that my brain just feels like I can't breathe through my nose and I actually can, and it just takes more training. 
Well, there's, that's a good question. And there, there's a number of reasons why people have trouble breathing through their nose. So again, a blanket prescription won't work. Some people absolutely need surgical intervention, right? Their, their noses are so messed up and clogged up, they need surgery. But what, from, I, from what I found working with so many researchers and a lot of people down at Stanford is the nose is a use it or lose it organ. So the less you're using it, the less you're going to be able to breathe through it clearly. So Dr. Ann Kearney down at Stanford had was a chronic mouth breather and she's she's older too you know she's like in her, this happened when she was in her mid 50s and she was slated for surgery and then she looked at cat scans of people who had little holes drilled in their throats laryngectomies and she found that between 2 months and 2 years their noses were plugged up completely plugged up 100% no air was getting through there because the nose this isn't just bones all of these structures are coated with erectile tissue. And yes, it's the same erectile tissue as you know where. <laughs> and it can become inflamed. Something like 50% of the population, we have inflamed turbinates, meaning these, uh, it's harder to get air in through our noses. But through conditioning, I've seen this in my own body. I have CAT scans to prove it. Through constant conditioning and constant awareness, we can mark so many massive improvements in our ability to breathe. So it starts with that. It starts with awareness, then it starts with practice. And if you use little breathe right strips or mute inserts, you can use or sprays or whatever, all that's cool as the training wheel to, to nasal breathing. But, right. but trust me, this once you breathe through your nose, I, I would be surprised if that anxiety you feel, that panic you're feeling will start to dissipate pretty quickly. Wow. And I would love to start breathing better. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, you know, because there can, can be some confusion about, you know, the, the, the stigma between take a deep breath. It's actually, I mean, you, I mean, I, that's what I've always assumed. But reading your book was not, it's not the deep breath, it's a slow breath. And um, I've even tried to practice the five and a half breaths per minute. And that is not easy through the nose. I mean, I could probably push it to like five and a half, six, maybe. Um, but my natural breath is probably four, sec maybe, um, which is fine, which is completely fine. But yeah, you know, when, when anyone feels anxious or anxiety, it's like take a deep breath. It's actually the opposite. Take a slow breath. And I'd love for you to elaborate on that. So the, the five and a half breaths per minute, it's about five, five and a half. I, you know, I wrote five and a half and now people are writing me saying, what, what happens if I'm a half a second off? <laughs> Am I in trouble? I'm like, oh God. So anything in that range, people is good. So that's, that's almost like weight training. The reason you want to do that is you want to softly acclimate your body to these slower breaths so that when you're walking around and not thinking about breathing, you will be breathing more slowly. So it's fine breathing 10, 12 breaths a minute is fine if these are soft, easy breaths. Four seconds in, four seconds out is, is great. But that's a wonderful, very simple, well-studied breathing technique that is so deceptively basic, people think this is not going to do anything for me until you look at the science, until you put sensors on your body and you're like, oh my God, just by breathing in at a rate of about five seconds in, five seconds out, you can extend that a little more if you want. The systems of the body enter something called 
coherence where everything's working at peak efficiency. And it's beautiful when you're in a lab and you've got a heart rate monitor, you've got heart rate variability, you've got nervous system function, and you watch all these lines that are like this. Like right now, if I'm talking, my brain waves, everything's going to be like this. They all just organize into these wow. fluid sine waves. And that's because your body's very happy at doing that. So again, it's a practice thing. Don't go and say, I'm going to go and kick my breath's ass today. I'm just going to push it all the way. This should be something that, that feels very nourishing and soft. And if you're comfortable with three seconds in, three seconds out, that's fine. You'll get to it at some, some later time. So uh, in regards to the deeper breath stuff, for people with panic, and this has been well studied, I put all these 500 scientific references available for free on my site if anyone wants to look at this stuff, but they took panic sufferers, this was a National Institutes of Health study, and they found that just by slowing their breathing, by allowing that carbon dioxide to rise just a little, these people were no longer suffering from panic. Even a year after a four-week intervention, a year after, 96% said they were imp much improved or very much improved by taking control of their breathing. So there's huge hope for people. Um, and the, the uh, remedy for a lot of people is free, it's easy, it's accessible. And so you have no, you know, there's no reason not to do it. What's your website so everybody can go and read if they want to go and check it out? It's Mr mrjamesnester.com. There are a bunch of different breathing practices uh, from Johns Hopkins and from Harvard, some interviews with experts. All the stuff is, is free. The scientific articles are on there too. I knew no one was going to believe this. So I included x-rays and videos and of all these super breathers. So, so you can go check it out. And I'm adding Amazing. more to it uh, all the time. Amazing. Um, so uh I want to touch back on the um, the kind of you know crooked teeth, or as we say in the UK, bent teeth. Um, that is, has a because I mean I used to have an is it an underbite where my bottom was was you know over my top, um, and the first thing that the orthodontist did was remove teeth. Um, and then I had before that I suffered from asthma, so which I grew out of. I don't know how I grew out of it, but I guess I started breathing through my nose. Um, and yeah, so I just wanted the, the correlation between mouth breathing and, and obviously we, we know about the, the, the change of the facial structure, how, but how is it, you know, orthodontists and dentists aren't really familiar with this type of um, practice or, or, or the breathing and how detrimental it is to the actual shape of the mouth. So I'm in the same boat as, as you were. I had extractions, I had braces, I had headgear, I had all that stuff for years. And growing up, it was never if you were going to get that stuff. It was like, when are you going to get your braces? Mm -hmm. So it's so bizarre to think that 300 years ago, none of our ancestors had crooked teeth, right? Uh, I was talking to a researcher. She had never seen a hunter-gatherer, thousands of skulls have crooked teeth. You can see this, you go into these labs, I spent a lot of time in these places, and you look at all these skulls from like thousands of years old to hundreds of years old, and they're all smiling back with perfectly straight teeth. They never got their wisdom teeth removed, you know? So why are modern humans the only ones with crooked teeth? Look at animals in the wild, they all have perfectly straight teeth. So the fact that this has all just happened to us, and we're suffering just for, for the reasons I mentioned before, 
As a result of this, smaller mouth, smaller airway, harder to breathe. That can uh, make you more apt to have asthma, more apt to have allergies, more apt to have anxiety, more apt to have panic. I mean, it's so much of this is connected to our breath. So the, your question specifically is, why aren't dentists hip to this? It's because they, they were never taught it, right? They, they were taught the, the point of a dentist or an orthodontist, how do we get the, the teeth straight? They weren't looking at airway health at all. But the good news behind all of this is I was just on a big conference call with so many orthodontists is there's going to be this huge change that is taking place. And in 10 years, there's no way we're going to be doing what had been done to us. There's impossible because they're finding these people, these poor kids who've had teeth extracted, have their, their mouths, which were already too small, are even smaller because of braces and headgear. They're having chronic airway issues. Uh, they can't sleep. They have anxiety. They can't breathe. And so it's, to me, this isn't depressing. Well, it's kind of depressing, but it, it's with, with this knowledge, now we know what we did wrong and how to fix it. And that's what's inspiring. Hopefully this next generation won't have to suffer through all the crap that we suffered through. I know it's insane. I mean, I, I had the teeth, like four or five teeth pulled out, plus my wisdom teeth. And it took about three years with braces on, which was severely painful. Um, and on top of that, having asthma too was just dreadful. <laughs> yeah, Wait, then, should I not get my wisdom teeth taken out? I haven't. I am. I will. I cannot prescribe anything. Some people. This is not a. a I don't I'm, have. I don't have issues. Should I leave it? I'm not beseeching people to not get impacted teeth, wisdom teeth out, because that's extremely painful. If you don't have to, I wouldn't do it. And I talked to a few different people. I'm saying humans as a species. Now it's, it's expected we have our wisdom teeth out. If you don't have to have them out, I would absolutely leave them in. That's what I would do. Maybe My mouth is really small. They say that all the time when I go to the dentist and stuff. Well, they might become impacted, in which case you, you, would, you would need them out. But just ah. to me, it's this, this orthodontist, um, like the, the history of this stuff was fascinating because you don't think when you're writing a book about breathing you're going to be checking out 2,000-year-old human skulls and talking to dentists. That was, that was the last thing I thought I was going to be doing. But these are the people on the front lines, right? They're looking into the mouth more than any, anyone else. And I learned that 100 years ago, we used to expand mouths to make a, a larger mouth allows for more room for teeth to grow and naturally straight, also makes a larger airway. They're now doing this with kids. And they're finding ADHD and so many other metabolic problems go away because these kids can finally breathe clearly. And it makes perfect sense. If you're struggling 20,000 times a day, you're going to be wrecked. Your mind's going to be wrecked. Your body's going to be wrecked. Oh, my God. It's, um, my, my, my wife suffers from in, insane nasal congestion to a point where I'm always like, are you breathing through your nose? And then she'll fall asleep and then she'll kind of slightly, you know, mouth open and I'll just close it a little um it's i mean and she does she pushes she pushes through on on breathing through her nostrils um is there any techniques that for someone who suffers from like like nasal congestion i mean it gets to a point where it, it it can make her feel you know super upset and all these type of things that lead with you know having a blocked nose um i'd love to know especially for our listeners who suffer from the same things just some techniques that they can do just to practice Sure. And you're inspiring me to just, I'll make a post about this as well, because it gets a little complicated of some simple things. They're either cheap or free that you can do. 
for someone with chronic nasal congestion, first of all, you know, does she have really bad allergies? Is there another reason why her nose is plugged up? And that should be something that should be checked out. If that isn't the case, and it's a matter of using it or, or losing it, then being conscious of nasal breathing throughout the day is really, really important. But, you know, a third of our lives were sleeping. And for decades, I was sleeping like this. Mm -hmm. thinking it was totally normal. I, I'd go to bed with a huge bottle of water, take a few hits off it uh, every couple hours. My mouth was dry. So this is not normal at all. Other animals don't sleep with their mouths That's open. That's how I sleep sometimes. Yeah, and something like 50% of the population does this. So what I learned, this is going to sound sketchy, just, just a heads up. <laughs> but And it sounded sketchy to me until I, I went down to Stanford again, talked to Ann Kearney, talked to Dr. Mark Berheny, and they told me to try to use this, a little piece of hypoallergenic tape, and to put it on the lips. This is not like some Pulp Fiction action, like a hostage action. This isn't duct tape. This is a teeny piece of tape that has this really mild adhesive about the size of a postage stamp, right? And to do this, I can still breathe if I want. I can talk to you. My wife is so annoyed when I talk to her like this. It <laughs> happens sometimes. When I want to take it off, I use my tongue, comes right off. So, so there's for some people with, with like anxiety problems at the beginning, you're going to say, oh, this is, this is awful. But just allowing, doing this allows you to sleep with your jaw shut, which means for a third of your life, for eight hours every day, you're going to be conditioning your nose over and over. This can take a while, can take a couple weeks. What I would suggest people do is this seems wacky, but there's nothing wackier than sleeping with your mouth open and snoring and having sleep apnea. That's, that's really bad news is just take a little piece and wear it when you're in front of your computer, when no one else is around. Do that for a half an hour, then do it for an hour, then do it for a couple hours. This is a pandemic, man. No one's going outside anyway, so no one's going to see you. <laughs> uh, and this is a great way to get you more relaxed so that when it's time to go to sleep, you actually are comfortable with this. Took me a while. Now I cannot have a good night's sleep without this stuff. Uh, I'm a huge believer in, in hundreds and hundreds of people have written saying the same thing that no longer snoring, no longer sleep apnea by doing this free thing that anyone can do. So why not give it a go? That's amazing. That's, that's the funniest thing. Cause I came back from running and, and that what you just said was in a chapter in your book. And I was like, I, I have a, you know, for your stuff knows there's, there's, I have something for you. And I was like, you have to wear tape over your mouth. And she was like, I'm not fucking doing that shit. And that now she's going to see this and, and she's going to hear it from you. So, but it makes sense. I mean, it, you, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. I mean, and it is a muscle it is something that, you know, if you, if you work out only on one arm, one arm's going to get bigger and the other one's going to get weaker. Um, it's the same principle with your nose and mouth. And it's so logical, but you just don't ever think about it. I'm going to send you a link of a doctor talking about this stuff. You can believe me or not. I don't care either which way. Mm -hmm. But when you hear this guy who's been doing it for decades, <laughs> um, it might convince her a, a little more. Yeah. I'm definitely an, a nasal breather. I, I sleep on my my front too. And I wake up and I'm like, oh, through my nose, I'm blessed. Um, but it's also- Fuck a, you. It's, but, it's a, <laughs> but it's a conscious practice. I'm always, whenever I feel my mouth is open, I just close it. It's just a- um, and, and, you know, obviously consciously aware of breathing too, you kind of are aware of how you're breathing as well. Um, I feel like I was breathing through my nose most of this because yeah, I was see? thinking about it. Because you're consciously aware. 
Yeah. And you're not thinking about anything else. So, you know, the anxieties, the stresses of being at home, the lockdown, all that type of stuff. All I'm thinking about is how to breathe. Which is a good thing. And, yeah. and the point <laughs> of this isn't to walk around for the next, you guys are young, the next 50 years of your life thinking about breathing, right? You don't want to do that. What you want to do is establish this as a habit. Yes. So unconsciously, your mouth is shut. You're breathing through your nose. You're breathing slowly. You're breathing lightly and you're breathing deeply. So sometimes establishing a habit can take a couple of weeks. Sometimes it's a few months if you've been doing something wrong from, from years and years and years. But, but that's the point of it. And, and I've noticed, like people think I wrote a book about this, that I'm now the best breather in the world. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm along on this journey. I was able to talk to some of the best breathers in the world. But, you know, I'm just like everyone else. I came from the outside and researched this stuff to try to figure it out. If um, I, I, I kind of want to touch up on because I know so many people suffer from asthma and anxieties and depressions and stuff. Is there any techniques for them? Say if someone was having a, a panic attack or an asthma attack that was coming on um, that they could kind of Im- implement bef- kind of before it comes on. If that makes Absol- sense. Absolutely. She's asking um, that question for me. Yes. Yeah. So for, for both of those populations. So it turns out that both asthmatics and people suffering from from as 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 I mentioned, they're often mouth breathers and they often breathe way over their needs. So it sounds like that uh, pretty often because of that CO2 stuff. I won't get too into the biochemistry. So a researcher, uh, and, and there's dozens of these studies, took 120 asthmatics. And the only thing she used to treat them was their own breath. So whenever she noticed they were breathing too much, and she used a capnometer to do this, which measures CO2, she would have them slow down their breathing. And by simply slowing down their breathing and increasing their CO2 and allowing more circulation, she was able to have a massive and transformative effect on their asthma. So much so that in other studies, people who had been on bronchodilators for decades, who had been on oral steroids for decades, no longer take this stuff. This is not saying asthmatics, drop all your medications off, just go to breathing. I'm not saying that at all. These are researchers. This is a very tightly controlled study. But this is, again, is all on the side. I think there's 50 different studies showing that by just breathing softly, breathing through your nose, breathing calmly, you can blunt so many of the symptoms of panic and asthma. So instead of when you feel yourself panicking, when you feel an asthma attack coming on, the last thing you want to do is... Guess what happens when you do that? You get more constriction. It's going to make it harder to breathe. You get more stress and you have an attack. Instead, control your breathing. Breathe slowly, okay? Calm yourself down. That's the way to get through that. And this is supported by so many decades of science. The fact that this isn't more well-known was just completely confusing to me because no one has disproven it. And yet, the only thing a lot of asthmatics are told, they're like, you have asthma, here's your bronchodilators, here's your steroids, have fun for the rest of your life. And so many people can show marked and measured significant impacts by just controlling their breathing. I mean, it's such a simple thing. And and I... And I think that's why your book touches up on so many different aspects of it, because it kind of all roads lead to the breath. 
Yeah, I mean, but uh, I was focusing just on breathing. Nutrition's really important. <laughs> Exercise is important. Community yeah. is very important. But when you start looking at the body, I believe, my personal belief is this is the foundation. So you can exercise all you want. You can be a vegan, paleo, keto, lacto, vegetarian, whatever. But if your breathing is messed up, you're never, ever going to be healthy, ever. Mm -hmm. So yeah. few people acknowledge that. That breathing has to be considered along with what you eat, how much you exercise. It is essential. And to me, healthy sleep is healthy breathing. That's where it starts, right? If you have anxiety and you're breathing well, but you're still having sleep problems, then you can address that. But you first have to understand and address the breathing issues with sleep. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty spiritually practical guy, um, you know, in terms of I understand the gift I have to create my whole universe by the way I feel and my thoughts and feelings. Um, so I know the attraction to illness, the attraction to, you know, everything in my life is me. I'm the controller of it, just as collectively we all are. Um, so I, I, I want to talk a, a little about um, like processed foods because I know because you, you mentioned about soft foods because, you know, I have a, a one year old and, you know, I'm, I'm baby weaning her. So I'd give her some soft foods, but some harder foods that she would have to chew. And and how important is that? It to, I mean, to, to a to a child developing. I mean, uh, you know, that that I, I guess for me, I want I would like to know that. It's vitally important. So there's a reason why our ancestors all had these super badass, powerful jaws, these forward growing faces, these huge mouths, perfect teeth. It's because they chewed a lot. They chewed up to four hours a day. If you think about the stuff we're eating nowadays, yogurts, even healthy stuff, avocados, smoothies, processed goo bars, other processed, all this stuff is soft. And without that masticatory stress, especially early in life, your bones don't develop properly, okay? Your musculature doesn't develop properly. And they know this because they've taken groups of infants who were breastfed versus those who were bottle-fed, and those who are bottle-fed, which requires much less chewing stress, it, it, it's much harder for the face to pull out properly when you're bottle-fed, they will have significantly more sleep apnea and breathing issues later on in life. Because, I mean, you, you can imagine the chewing two hours a day, you're working to pull your face out, which is allowing your upper palate to drop down and your mouth to become wider. So it's it's vitally important early on to to go from wean this is called baby led weaning where instead of feeding them like gerber's applesauce and all of that you think about all of our ancestors they went from from breastfeeding to regular food okay that this stuff was not blended up um and there's a whole books on this there's there's a whole science about this so that's why our faces are messed up that is the main culprit why we have crooked teeth and why we've had to have braces and all that because we're not chewing anymore. And the way to reverse that is very simple. You chew, <laughs> you chew more and it's, and you can reverse so much of the damage in a, in a single generation. Yeah. I think Noah, you can attest to this, you know, um, I guess I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a weed smoker. So when I smoke, I was weed, like, uh Oh, where is this going? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when I smoke weed and I get the munchies, I eat a shit ton of food to a point where my stomach is like, uh, you know, so I, again, probably lack of chewing uh, and more consumption. But something in your book really struck me was the, um, 
you know, the, if you cover your right nostril and breathe through your left, it relaxes you before food. If you do the opposite and breathe solely through your right nostril after you've eaten, it helps digest your food. And I was like, I'm going to try this shit. And I did. And it fucking works. It's the strangest thing I've ever experienced ever. And I could be so bloated and then just cover my left nostril and breathe through my right. And all of a sudden my stomach will just start bubbling, bubbling, let out for burp or something. And then it would go away. I mean, where the, where does that come from? <laughs> so it comes from yoga. Yogis have been doing this stuff. Ch- check out some 2000 year old yoga books. Check out some freezes on the wall of India. They're doing alternate nostril breathing. And if you've done any yoga or gone to a yoga class, they're going to sometimes have you put your thumb over your right nostril, breathe through your left, put your finger, you know, your forefinger over, over your left, breathe through your right. What's, what's interesting about, about all of this to me is that there's 20 years of science showing that there are very real changes happening in the brain and in the body depending on which nostril you breathe air through. So the right nostril, you can do this along with me if, if, if you feel game, is associated with sympathetic responses. It will heat the body up. The heart rate increases. Blood pressure increases, right? Left nostril, ah, it's the opposite response. So Wait, can I close which one? <laughs> I'm like getting confused. You can switch. So, so right is is digestion, powerful heat, more circulation. Left is calming. And what they've done is they've even taken subjects and looked at what's happened to their brains when they breathe through different nostrils. And so the right nostril will elicit more logical blood flow to the logical side of the brain. Left nostril will elicit more creativity to the different sides. There's a lot of crossover there, but those are generally assumed to the, the left and right sides are associated with, with certain tasks and certain things. So this, this even affects us down, down to the blood flow in our brains. Um, yogis have known about it for, for thousands of years. So what you're experiencing, a lot of people would say, oh, it's just psychosomatic. It's all in your brain. Not if you look at the science of this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, even, you know, cause I only really smoke now in the evenings when the baby's down, just a quick pull and then watch some Netflix or read a book. Um, but I, I realized, cause I, I only started smoking a few years ago. Um, and, but, but the smoking almost trained me how to not breathe properly. Cause you know, you'd inhale it through the mouth and it'd be a short breath and then a long breath out. Um, and I felt like that would that's probably led to me to where I had the headaches, which was I, now I have to retrain myself to, to, to breathe properly because I was taking shorter breaths. Um, have you, is there any studies between, you know, marijuana smoking or breathing or any of these type of things that you've come across? If it's just one breath, if it's yeah. just a few pulls from a bong or whatever, that's not gonna, that's not what. Oh, no, no, that's now. I mean, before I would be like every day, all the time. Now it's just the evening. Okay. <laughs> um, it's mature but, but, now. If you, you know, I, I'm again focusing on habitual breathing. Yep. So here's another trick that you can put your hand over your heart and I'm going to have you breathe in to a count of about four and breathe out just, just real, real softly to a count of about six. So if you do this with me, four, real easy, and six out through the nose, just very softly. You can feel your heart rate slowing down every time you breathe out. You can breathe in again. You can feel your heart rate speeding up. Then when you breathe out, you exhale, it slows down. So this is you hacking into your nervous system. Each inhale is associated with 
a reaction, a sympathetic reaction, where it gives us a little burst of energy. It, each exhale relaxes us. So if you extend your exhales, you're going to put your nervous system, the rest of your body, into the state of relaxation, which is why there's so many yoga practices of breathe in to three, breathe out for six, breathe in to three, breathe out for 12, hold your breath, breathe out for eight. I mean, they're all variations on the same theme. And this, again, is something that you can use anytime, anywhere. So it's, it, it's, it's, it, it doesn't have to be the equal and equal. I mean, if you breathe in for four and you breathe out for six, that's still a healthy kind of, because I feel like I can breathe out for like as many seconds as I want. Breathing in is a little different. There, these are different tools in the toolbox, right? It depends on what you're, our bodies go through various moods. They have various needs throughout the day. Jogging, you're going to want to breathe in a different way than sitting in front of the computer and watching Tiger King, you know, different way when you're, when you're walking. So these are just things, once you become conscious of it, most of the time our body wants to be balanced, right? We don't want to be sleepy. We don't want to be anxious. So it's best to have those breaths at the same amount of time. But if you notice there's like some swelling, anxiety, and panic, you can extend those exhales and you can actually relax your body that way. Another thing that's important is when you're breathing deeply, so our lungs don't just inflate by themselves, right? There's this huge muscle, the diaphragm. It's the largest skeletal muscle in the whole body. And when you breathe in, the diaphragm sinks down. When you breathe out, it sinks back up. So this is the pump in the body, right? When you take these soft breaths in, that diaphragm pushes against the intestines and all of the other organs and helps them leach out lymph fluid. When you breathe out again, it pumps that stuff out. So if you're only breathing into your chest here, all of those toxins, all of that crap can just get stuck in there. It has a harder time moving. The body wants constant movement. Just like a, a rushing river isn't going to have a lot of moss where, where you look at a lake and it's got a whole bunch of gunk in it. So we want the same thing with our breath, the same thing with our lymph fluid, the same thing with our blood. And the best way of doing that is establishing these lower, softer, deeper breaths. Is, is that when you're breathing into the, 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 the kind of stomach area? Because um, I, I find that because I watch people when they breathe and their stomach move up and down. Some people's don't. And I usually find the people that don't are the ones who are severely stressed and anxious and just bottling all that stuff up in their stomach. I mean, um, no, when you breathe, does your stomach like rise and, and lower? Because I, I look at my daughter and hers is like, you, you, I always look at children just to as the perfect example of how it should be rather than the, the adult form. Oh, so when I'm like trying to focus and yeah. think about it. I'm like, I think so. Yeah. It's yeah. just, we're probably not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, look at a dog, look at a cat, yeah. check out how it's breathing. It's not breathing into its chest. Yeah. They're breathing extremely fluidly. Same thing with an infant. It's this beautiful thing to see. If you see a cheetah running at 60 miles per hour, what's it doing? It's breathing through its nose and it's breathing into its gut. So even more important than having the flexibility in your gut, see, as, as Westerners, we're so vain, we constantly want to look like we're completely ripped, like we've got this killer six-pack. So we wear corsets. I mean, we did before. Now those are coming back. We wear tight clothes. We wear tight belts. So we never want our stomachs to hang out just a little bit. This is inhibiting the free flow of air into our bodies. So if you want to look better, I would suggest learn how to breathe better. You'll look better in 20 years, you know, mm -hmm. otherwise you can really wreck your body. So, so 
a neat little thing to do is you can take your hands, okay, take them like this um, sideways and put them right up on top of your hip bones, right? I want you to take a breath in and you should feel your hands moving out laterally. You shouldn't just feel your stomach going out, but if you feel them moving out laterally, that means you're engaging your diaphragm. Stomach breathing, most people think it's all about the stomach, but I'm not even breathing right now and I can move my stomach in and out. Mm, right? I've done a lot of yoga and that kind of crap. So what you really want is diaphragmatic movement and that's how you can gauge diaphragmatic movement is having your hands. I'm going to need some work on that. <laughs> Noah's not feeling notice, it. <laughs> I'm not more, feeling anything. Am I breathing? <laughs> well, this, this could really be so have so many benefits for you. If you're mentioning panic and stuff like this, this diaphragmatic movement, what, what happens when you take control of your breathing, most of the signals between the brain and the body are coming from the body to the brain. It's not the brain just telling everything to do. So we can send signals to our body, to our brains, to relax by breathing. So having that lower diaphragmatic breath immediately sends signals to your brain to chill out, and it can change the way you think. It can change the emotional centers in your brain. So this is Sitting something... Here like, oh. so, so if you do this, when, when Noah, if you're feeling anxious... If you take these deeper breaths, if you learn how to take these diaphragmatic breaths, don't, don't push it, just very gently. You can send signals to your brain that's saying, it's fine, I'm fine, I have enough air, I'm gonna be okay. And that's how you can help ameliorate so many problems, anxiety and other attacks. That's, I mean, I love it. Thank you. I love, it. I love all the, I mean, you know, um, I love the, you know, it's that almost points back to you know the gut sending signals to to the brain or you know i think what did i read somewhere that the first the first thing to be born is the actually the heart and then everything kind of circulates around that then the brain and everything else so the brain is always secondary for me um in terms of body and mind and all that you know we are not our minds or or our brains um and this brings me to my next point is which blew my mind as well is that is the tumo practice and that was, and that's kind of like, you know, Noah, if, if you don't know what this is, is, and I only recently learned this, was um, a bunch of Tibetan monks would sit in, I guess, snow with hardly any clothes on and solely just by breathing and breathing slow, they would heat their bodies up and the ice would melt around them. Wow. So there had been stories about this for hundreds and hundreds of years that these monks could do this. And Alexander David Neal, this amazing French anarchist opera singer, went out there for 14 years and lived amongst these monks and learned this thing and lived to be 100 years old. But still nobody believed this was the age before videotape and, uh, you know, journalism and photography even. So in the 60s, some, you know, hippies and other explorers start go out to India and Tibet and Nepal. They're like, oh my God, there's these people, these monks wear this thin little sheet year round. And these monasteries are freezing cold and they're just keeping themselves warm, which of course to Westerners, we say this is complete BS. This person is obviously not getting the story straight. So enough of these stories accumulated that in 1980, Harvard Medical School researcher Herbert Benson said, I'm just going to figure this figure this thing out, see if it's BS or not. 
He went out to Dharamsala, India, found these monks, put sensors all over their bodies, and found that they could do exactly this. So he would put them in cold rooms, put a wet sheet on their backs. They would breathe in this certain way. All the steam would come off and the sheet would be dry. So this is scientifically proven. It's in the top medical journal in the world, Nature. If you don't believe me, check it out. Or you could just look at what Wim Hof is doing right now. I'm sure you're familiar with Mm -hmm. him. He's, He's a new version of these Tuma monks. He sat in an ice bath for two hours, okay, and didn't suffer from hypothermia, didn't suffer from frostbite. This is supposed to be medically impossible. He just sat there and (laughs) breathed in this way to superheat his body. It not only heats the body up, it also heals it, as we're seeing from dozens and dozens of case studies and a lot of scientific research. Is that similar to what David Blaine did? Or was that kind of a was that just an illusion? He's no, what, what he did was real. He huffed oxygen yeah. and he held his breath for what? 16 minutes, 17 minutes. That's, that's all real. Uh, mm. He could not fake that. He, he did the work and pretty amazing. I mean, all these things show like it takes someone to prove it wrong. And then textbooks, medical textbooks are literally have to be rewritten in the way we understand the body. But I found it fascinating. This research is yogis, and Buddhist monks, they've been doing this stuff for thousands of years. It's, it's Westerners who are late on this game. And it just makes you wonder, if we've forgotten something as incredible as this, what else are we forgetting? What else is out there to explore? What else don't we know about our bodies? Um, just a couple more questions. I mean, so, I mean, like the mask wearing, for example, during COVID and everyone's out. How detrimental is that going to be for the kind of future de- generations of breathing out because you know when you're breathing out you're essentially breathing out what you don't need which is not necessarily what you should be breathing back in either um health-wise i mean from your experience and your studies and uh mask is that unhealthy what i've seen i've seen several studies on this is it appears that there with most masks there's different masks right there's n95 there's bandanas, this cloth of God's ones, whatever. So it depends on what kind of mask you have. But most of them, your oxygen levels aren't aren't lowering. So the, you hear a lot of these people saying, oh my God, I can't breathe in a mask because I, I can't breathe. I'm not getting enough oxygen. I can feel it. I'm getting dizzy. All you have to do is get one of these things. It's about 15 bucks on Amazon or Walgreens or whatever. It's a pulse oximeter. And you'll notice your oxygen levels are staying the same. There's been so many studies showing oxygen is fine. Remember when I mentioned that CO2? (laughs) Mm -hmm. How so many people are acclimated to this very low threshold of CO2? Mm -hmm. That is what they're responding to. They're like, oh my God, I can't breathe. I'm panicking. I'm anxious. That's that rise in CO2. And for a lot of these people, having that a little more CO2, having that balance can actually be a huge benefit to their brains and to their bodies. So this isn't a blanket statement because there's different kinds of mass. But if you look at the studies, oxygen's not the problem. If you don't believe the studies, get a pulse oximeter and you can see for yourself. I've tried on like seven different masks. Oxygen was never the problem with any of them. I will mention though, you should definitely be breathing through your nose in a mask. Do not just default to mouth breathing and think it's okay because there's a mask over. Our noses are so much more efficient and effective at battling viruses 
than that mass. That seems crazy, right? But that's what this does. It releases something called nitric oxide, which guess what it does? It interacts directly with viruses to kill viruses. We release that in our noses. Oh, that was a golden moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the pulse oximeter, I mean, what what should be the, because if, if, I'm going to go and get one. Um, what should the level of a, of carbon dioxide or oxygen be in someone just, just for the educational purpose? purposes sure so so uh, according to to medical common knowledge is anything below like 91 92 oxygen is not good so you should be it's not not super bad but you get into the 80s you're you're in bad shape so anything uh, what you want to see i would say 95 and above maybe 94 and above that's what you want for oxygen but it's funny that everyone seems to be paying attention to oxygen and no one's paying attention to carbon dioxide. But without heavy stores of carbon dioxide, that oxygen in your body can't feed healthy cells. You need a healthy store of CO2. And so everyone's looking at their oxygen, not realizing that they need this balance. It's this yin and yang relationship between these two. The problem is measuring CO2 is a lot harder. A capnometer's like two grand. It's this huge clunky thing. There's some other companies that are developing smaller versions of this. So that should be about 5.5% is very healthy. Um, lower than 5% is bad. Um, but but on up to 6, 6.5% is healthy. Again, it's about having a balance here. You don't want too much CO2 and, and too little O2. You don't want too much O2 and low CO2. You want these things to be really locked in. And it can have a transformative effect, especially if you're used to having low CO2 levels or even low oxygen levels. You get those back in balance. People are finding so many of the chronic problems just go away because their bodies are able to operate better. Um, and then um, just just one more point is the because I've actually started doing this and Noah, you should probably too. It's actually pretty easy. It's the the five Tibetan rites, which I've been researching nonstop since you mentioned it in your book. And it's I mean, it's been described as the fountain of youth, which is kind of a breathing. It's so, no, it's like super quick. It's like a 10 minute. It's just basically just five stretches kind of thing while breathing. It's almost like yoga, but a little easier than yoga, um, or especially modern day yoga. Um, I mean, do you practice that, James? I do when I can. Um, <laughs> I do yoga, you know, as often as I can as well. I prefer going out into the, my, my real yoga, yoga is uh, going out to the ocean. So I surf a lot and that, that's where I, I really connect with, with the planet that way. But the, the five Tibetan rites, we, we know they're beneficial. They're basically yoga poses, right? You, you look at those and you're like, oh, I've done all these before. But they just have this rhythm. You do them in this certain rhythm. It's a quick exercise. And of course, there's benefits. There's always going to be benefits to stretching your body, raising your awareness to your respiration. And it's interesting to, to see some, some doctors and other researchers finding that it looks as though there could be very specific benefits to doing that cycle of exercises. And this is another thing. It's free. These are available to everyone. You can look them up on Wikipedia, whatever, and uh, they can only help you. So why not do them? Amazing. Um, what's, Amazing. Do you have any, what's your religious beliefs or religious background? Or I mean, I, I'd love to know. I'm a capitalist. So, no, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, you know, I grew up in Orange County uh, behind the Orange Curtain. A lot of people think that California is all just like rainbows and sunshine, 
you grow up in, in Orange County in the 80s, and this, I mean, it's basically Texas. So extremely conservative, very religious place. But I flew the coop when I was when I was 18 and, and haven't really looked back. And that's one of the reasons I'm in San Francisco. So I don't have I don't subscribe to any specific religion or anything like that. Yes, I'm I'm acutely aware that that the universe is an incredible thing. And, and certainly there is an energy out there that is is at hand um, and, and was certainly at hand with the birth of the universe. But beyond looking at the science of it, um, uh, I don't personally subscribe to that, but in no way would I ever pass judgment on anyone for any belief system. And I think if someone who does that uh, is just pretty ill-guided. Absolutely. Oh man, James, this has been fucking awesome. Seriously. I mean, thank you so much. I'm in awe. I mean, I'm, I'm on the last few chapters of the, the audio. I, I mean, I've always wanted to know, rec- recording the audiobook. how long did that take? Because I mean, I could imagine myself doing it and it would just it take forever so they had an actor voice actor all set up i said no this is my this is my book i want to do it <laughs> um and this was in early march and so i had this really slick actually in, in uh early february had this really slick uh studio set up in san francisco St- nice lights great engineer you know probably some hummus in the fridge some nice drinks i was excited to go down there and then the pandemic hit so I have a shack in my backyard that I had to get four layers of moving blankets yeah. and a microphone. So I, I probably shouldn't say this, but as you're listening to that, I was in a space about this big, sweating profusely, breathing terribly because there was no ventilation. And you can hear my dog barking in the background. <laughs> the engineer did a pretty good job of cleaning up. So it took forever. I have this whole new respect for voice actors it is so yep. hard so i don't understand how singers do it i don't understand how voice the second that red light goes on i just freeze yep. and yep. and i'm terrible at it but i managed to make it through in about three miserable days and who knows if i'll ever do it again but that's the story of the audiobook so so next time voice actor Maybe. Maybe. Now I feel I'm I'm a little better at it. I really know what to expect. So 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 I, I no guarantees on that. Amazing. Oh man, thank you so much um for jumping on to In My Fields. This is fucking awesome. Thank you so much. Seriously. And everyone check out James's book, uh Breath. Um it will change your life. Um everything you know about breath is is wrong. Um and this book kind of puts you on the path of where you should be. Thanks a lot for having me, you guys.